Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you today that uh, you have given us the opportunity to be your servants. Lord, help us to take that on enthusiastically and with the joy that you have called us to in the person and work of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. When Pastor Laura was teaching in a Christian school in Oklahoma, she got to take the kids in her class on field trips. I had the opportunity to accompany them a couple of times. One of the trips we went out, there's an Air Force training base there nearby in Oklahoma, so we went out and the the instructor pilots showed the kids the airplanes and let them climb all over them and took their pictures. It was a very, very fancy field trip and the kids really enjoyed it a lot. When I was um, uh, you know, in elementary school a couple of years ago, that's not funny. When I was in elementary school, we were in a school system that was not the most robustly financed school system on the planet. The schools were in a bit of trouble financially, and I should have caught on when, the, when we went out for a fire drill. The teacher said, no, it's not a fire drill. It's a field trip. <laughs> so learning disguised as fun. That's what field trips are supposed to do, be. And here's a thing that believers get to do that, that, that should give us this sense of excitement and anticipation. As much as those little kids get excited when they get to go on the field trips to these exotic places, you and I, as believers in Jesus, we get to go on field trips with him to extend his kingdom. And one of those bases for those field trips that we're going to talk about this morning is in the book of Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. Let me just read this to you. It's in the Bible's in front of you. If you're following along on, online, then just to the right of the screen, there's an opportunity there for you to find a Bible translation and follow along. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 says this. Then they gathered around him, around Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This piece of scripture helps us understand that we are called to this task of helping other people come to know and understand and appreciate the value of a connection with Jesus. And one of the things that we're going to hear about from Cody and Krista when they join us on May 16th is a way that that's expressed and a way that you and I get to participate in that with them. But that's not the exclusive way in which these field trips can take place. So this business of doing this from Acts chapter 1 verses 6 through 8 is what I like to call a simultaneous worldwide missions mandate that you and I share in the body of Christ. And I don't care if you're two or you're 200, we all still have this responsibility to somehow be connected to this work that God has called us to do. One of the things that has occurred to me over the last year while we've been dealing with the the way-fun COVID pandemic is that we have had a tendency to become very kind of inwardly focused, very kind of self-focused. And that's understandable when the world is going through the kind of trauma that we've gone through. But it's a shame, in my view, that we don't have this kind of broader sense of what's going on with other people. And we saw it, and this is editorial opinion, and I'm sorry about this, but we saw it when people wouldn't take very basic steps to help protect their neighbors from this disease. 
self-focus as opposed to other focus. People in the body of Christ, people who are believers in Jesus, we are called to be primarily focused outwardly, not inwardly. And that's what this passage helps us to understand this morning. So the question that we, I think we need to ask ourselves is, what does it take to fulfill this simultaneous worldwide missions mandate that you and I share? Whether we like it or not, whether we've known it or not, you and I, we share this mandate. So what does it take? It takes not being distracted by secondary issues. One of the first things the disciples asked Jesus in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 6 is, Hey, Lord, um, you said you're going away, but when are you coming back? Which is a reasonable question. Their entirety of their lives had been given over to following Jesus. They'd seen him crucified and resurrected, and they'd been uh, with him while he had been teaching after his resurrection for 40 days or so. And they just, and now he says, I'm going away. And they're thinking, man, no, when are you coming back? The thing about this is, this question, when is Jesus coming back, is not a question that was asked and answered one time with those disciples. It's a question that's getting asked all the time, even in our day and time. When is Jesus coming back? End time speculation is not new. It's what this question from the disciples was. If you go on to christianbooks.com, which is an online Christian bookstore, they used to be called CBD, but they changed it. (laughs) Christianbooks.com. If you go on there and you search for end times, you'll get nearly 3,000 hits of resources they have available to sell to talk about the end times. Well... Jesus said about this, no one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the day or the hour. So why spend our time focused on that kind of stuff? And my experience in churches, and I've done this for a little while now, my experience in churches is that it's often the case that small stuff tends to occupy our time and attention as believers. Small stuff. We were moving into a brand new church building in Colorado. Very exciting. And we had a group of people, they were ladies, and we called them the Aesthetics Committee. And it was their job to make sure everything matched. Color-coded. And so they're having a meeting one day, and I walked by, and I tried not to be in those meetings. I walked by the door where they were meeting, and I had other stuff I was doing. And then about an hour later, I walked back by, and they're still in there. Now, I knew this particular meeting was about the color of the carpet. So I walked in, and I said, what's going on? We just can't decide between this shade and this shade and this shade. And I looked at these three shades, and you couldn't tell the difference between these three shades. I said, listen... Pick one! And then I left. And it took him three more hours to pick one. Lots of small stuff tends to occupy our attention as believers. And I think the evil one loves that. I think he loves that. That you and I can get so wrapped around little stuff that we miss the big stuff, which is the stuff that's being talked about in this passage in Acts chapter 1 today. So what else does it take? It takes constantly being refocused by the Lord on the important stuff. This is where Jesus helps us out. He says in verse 7 in this passage, don't worry about that. 
Don't worry about when I'm coming back. That's the Father's business. You have other stuff to do. And that other stuff to do is in verse 8. You are to be my witnesses. Our lives, our work, our teaching, our encounters with everyone are supposed to be opportunities for them to see the joy of Christ at work in us so that we can share the joy of Christ with them. There's been a lot of grumpiness over the last year. And again, understandably so. It's been a grumpy kind of year. But Christians, people who believe in Jesus, are supposed to understand that our hope is not a function of the circumstances in the world around us. Our hope is a function of the reality of the work of Jesus to save us from our sin that was validated by his resurrection that we celebrated on Easter morning on that glorious service we had outside on the lawn. We're supposed to be people of hope and joy, irrespective of what's going on around us. Now, I'm not pretending that this is easy all the time, because it's not. I was, we were living in Topeka, and um, <clears throat> I went to the... Uh, uh, see my physician because I had a little um, pain in my, my hip. And so um, they did all the normal tests and I said, we're not quite sure what's going on here. Um, we think we need to send you for an MRI. So they did. Way fun, I got to tell you. MRIs, way fun. So I went for this MRI and they, um, I was uh, serving as an interim pastor in Fort Scott And uh, my physician called me from Topeka and said, you need to come and see me today. Now, when your physician calls and tells you that you need to come and see them today, it's not because they just want to see your smiling face. It's usually because they have something they want to share with you that they'd rather not share on the phone in case you fall apart. So I drove back. I got to my physician's office, and she said, we've looked at these MRI results, and we're pretty sure you have multiple myeloma. Now, multiple myeloma is blood cancer. I said, seriously? Like she was kidding. (laughs) Yes, seriously. And so we went through the whole thing, and uh, here's what we need to do next, and here's the other tests we need to do, blah, 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 blah. And I went home, and I saw Pastor Laura, and she said, what did she say? And I said, I told her what she said. And then the tears just started rolling down both our faces, because, man, we're not immune to the reality of the emotions that impact people when bad news comes our way. It's, it's a true thing, because we're human. Being a Christian does not mean we're not human. Being a Christian means that through the glistening of those tears, we get to see the reality of the person and work of Jesus. Now, just to finish that story, because I know you're all going to sit there and wonder until I do finish that story. We moved then, we were on our way to move to Enid, Oklahoma, for Pastor Lord to take that teaching job at that school. And so, you know, they packed up all my results or whatever, and they sent me down there. And I got down there, got connected with my new physician. And my new physician said, you know, I'm looking through all these test results, and I don't see an x-ray in here anywhere. So he sent me for an x-ray and sent me then to an orthopedist. And the orthopedist looks at the x-ray and says... You do not have multiple myeloma. You don't have blood cancer. You've got a torn ligament in your hip. They had misread the MRI. 
And for three or four months, we're all thinking, hey, I've got blood cancer and, you know, things are not going to go very well and all that stuff that comes with all that. And it turns out they just hadn't read the test result correctly. Talk about emotional roller coaster. So see, believers in Jesus, we get to ride the emotional roller coaster, but we do not get to let the emotional roller coaster ride us. Because we have confidence that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do. That's why we get to focus on the important stuff. And the important stuff is that our lives are supposed to be witnesses to the reality of the person and work of Christ. It also takes Holy Spirit empowerment, which showed up in verse 8 in this passage from Acts chapter 1. Jesus said to the disciples, hang out here, guys. The Holy Spirit's going to come and descend on you. And when that happens, you will experience the power to do what I have called you to do. And in the historical development of the church, that particular descent of the Holy Spirit was a historical one-time event. It happened one day while Peter was preaching. Holy Spirit, like tongues of fire, descended from heaven on everybody. And they got rowdy with this empowerment, so rowdy that people who were looking in on that said, these boys and girls are drunk. Peter said, no, we're not drunk. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and let me tell you about this God that we serve. But you and I, if we are believers in Jesus, if we have a personal connection with Christ, we don't have to wait for some one-time spectacular moment because the promise of the Bible is that believers in Jesus have already the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in them. So this power that Peter talked about in the book of Acts to share our lives in Christ with other people is already resident within us to the point where Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, boys and girls, apart from me, you can do nothing. And here's the thing, by the way, these are not just field trips for Jesus. These are field trips with Jesus. Remember Matthew chapter 28? I am with you always to the very end of the age. The joy, part of the joy of these trips is that we get to go on them with Jesus. Used to have a great Dane named Morgan. She wasn't the smartest great Dane I've ever seen. But she was a lovely puppy. And then she turned into a lovely horse. <laughs> but here was the thing about Morgan. And, and uh, you know, you have to take the horse for a walk on a regular basis. Here's the thing. She did not care where we were going. She just wanted to be with her master. Whenever that leash rattled, she was jumping up, and man, could she jump. In fact, we had to put all the food in the kitchen back at the ends of the counters because she could get up there and just graze to her heart's content. That was the size of this horse. So she could jump. And when the leash rattled, she just wanted to go. She didn't care where we were going. If it was a trip in the car, she'd sit in the back seat occupying nearly the whole thing, and she put her head on my shoulder, just wondering in the world where we were going, just happy to be there. This is supposed to be 
how you and I respond to Jesus, our master, when he says, hey, let's go on a trip together. Hey, let's do something together. It requires a mindset change. We don't have to go. We get to go with Jesus. And what else it takes is realization that this thing that we've talked about is indeed a simultaneous worldwide missions mandate. The grammar in the passage that we talked about, and I know you love it when I talk about grammar, indicates that these things are happening at the same time. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. They're happening at the same time. Now, of course, for those disciples in that original setting, it began to happen sequentially because they were living this out in history. But for you and I, in the year 2021, these things are supposed to be happening at the same time. Took a youth group on a trip to Canada one time, and we had a lovely woman in our church who said, why are you going to Canada? There's plenty of work here. And it was one of those times when, do you ever have this happen to you, when your out loud voice gets away from you? You ever have that happen? It was one of those times she said this, well, why go to Canada? There's plenty of work here. I went, ha! Because she hadn't been anywhere to do anything. So she was complaining about these young people were going to go to Canada and do some inner city missions work. Why go all the way to Canada? There's plenty of work here. Yes, there is plenty of work here. And what have you done about that? Absolutely nothing. I didn't say all of that out loud. You and I, we have a local context in Lyon County. We have a national context in the United States and North America. We have an international context to the very ends of the earth. And by the way, when Cody and Krista come and talk to us on May 16th, that's the context they're going to be talking about as they get ready to go to Papua New Guinea to help translate the Bible into languages that has never been translated into before so people can have access to the Word of God, so they can hear about Jesus in the Bible, in their own language, and come to know Him. That's, that's one piece of this extension work, this simultaneous worldwide missions mandate that we have, and that's what they're going to be talking to us about. But in addition to geography, there are different types of reaching out to people. Uh, uh, the Salvation Army, uh, for example, locally, or the, the community meal and essentials pantry that we do once a month. We're not going out to the ends of the earth with that. It's happening right here because sometimes God brings, listen, sometimes God brings the ends of the earth to us. So it takes embracing our part in all three of these components of this extension assignment, this missions assignment, How do we do that? Hmm. First step, first step, with anything involved in endeavors in the body of Christ, the first step is prayer. So that God can soften our hearts about the reality of this call that you and I have. And also prayer that God can soften the hearts of those to whom we speak about Jesus. It takes an investment in, uh, it takes a financial investment When Cody and Krista come, they're coming in part because they want to say thank you for the financial investment that we have been making in their missions and that we will continue to make in their missions effort. It takes financial participation. But listen to me. This is not paying somebody else to do that job. This is a recognition that this work requires 
us to be invested with who we are, including our finances. And financial participation in these kinds of missions, activities, is a reminder to us that God owns everything that we have. Everything we have. I don't care what the balance is in your bank account. I don't care what kind of car you're driving. I don't care what kind of house you live in. I don't care what resources you have at your disposal. I don't know what your investment account. I don't care what your investment accounts look like. I don't care about any of those details. What I want you to hear from me this morning is God owns it. God owns it. And what he does is, from time to time, he says, Hey, you know that some of that stuff that I've been letting you hold on to for a little while? I need you to take some of that stuff and help out over here or over there. And it takes personal participation. Again, at another church, uh, we, were, we had some missionaries come in to, uh, to share with us about what was going on in their particular missions effort. And one of the ladies that was in the church, I'm not picking on the ladies this morning, although it might seem like I am. It just happened to be another lady who was in that church. She said this to me, and it just landed right in my permanent, you know, it's on my hard disk drive in my brain. It's never going away. She said, I love hearing missionaries tell their stories. And this was a time when my out loud voice did not get away from me. But I thought in my head, wouldn't it be better to be able to tell your own stories? It's great to hear encouraging stories from others, and we'll hear some encouraging stories from Cody and Krista when they come, but wouldn't it be better, wouldn't it be great to be able to tell our own stories about our own involvement in this call that God has given to us? Wouldn't that be better? Jesus is not really interested in us being able to tell other people's stories really well. I think Jesus is more interested in us being able to tell the way he's worked in the middle of our lives in constructing our story. So, as we pray, we realize that God uses prayer as his mechanism to soften our hearts for participation in this mission's work. And when we pray, it leads us to the opportunity to relate to other people, to connect with them. God, show me today somebody you would have me connect with. I was in uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma on Friday, uh, visiting my, one of my granddaughters who's attending uh, Oklahoma State University, which is a great school, mostly because their color is orange. <laughs> and I was visiting with her, and we, were, uh, we were, had, uh, had lunch at Eskimo Joe's. Ever been to Eskimo Joe's? Yeah. Uh, they've got this, sidebar, they've got this uh, chicken chili stuff which is amazing. Anyway, um, that's what I had. My granddaughter had uh, cheesy fries covered with sweet bacon, which is also kind of amazing if you think about it. Hungry yet? <laughs> so we were there and, um, and, you know, just chatting. I was getting caught up with her and, and, uh, and stuff going on in school and all that kind of stuff. And then our server came over. His name was Dalton. And God just kind of said, you need to chat with Dalton a little bit. And so we did. I did. I asked him where he was, what's his life, what's he doing, what's his plans, what his plans are. And, you know, we didn't get into a big dramatic conversion moment or any of that stuff. But I tried to communicate to him that 
God cared about him. And I did it in the typical Christian way of leaving him the smallest possible tip I could. No. You ever notice that about Christians at restaurants sometimes? But like leave the smallest possible tip. You know, the slip comes to you and it has your recommended tip amounts, 10%, 15%, 20%. We always go, let's see, 10%. If I can round that down. Christians, man, we're supposed to be generous people. We're supposed to be enthusiastically reaching out to others. So we try to do that with Dalton a little bit. Just some random guy that I'll probably never see again. You have those people in your life. And then you have other people that you see all the time. And you have people that you've seen all the time for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years or 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. And you think, you know what? I've been this person's friend for so long that maybe the time has really gone past when I can be really explicit about the hope that I have in Jesus. Maybe it's we missed that moment. No, you didn't miss that moment. God can create new moments every day if we pray and ask him to do that. And then at some point we have to extend an invitation to people to come and meet Jesus. There's some risk involved with this. Our culture is not very fond of Christianity these days. There's some risk. It's not like the risk that people who take the gospel to other parts of the world encounter and get killed for their faith. It's not that kind of risk. It's just maybe a little momentary queasiness or embarrassment, but it's there. It's real. I won't pretend it's not. But man, don't we really believe, do we really believe that life with Jesus in the kingdom is a whole other level of safe? That it really doesn't matter what those people around us really think so much about us as long as we're sure that we have a solid connection with Jesus. And knowing that, isn't, isn't that enough to help us move to talk to other people about Jesus? God's entire enterprise at any church rests on the principles of this passage. And here's the thing. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that God has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Are you a to-do list person? Do you have a little, like, little sticky notes or whatever? I have mine on my, my phone. A little to-do list. Check, check it all off. It's very important. Very important life work here to do your to-do list. Some people put on their to-do list the to-do list. So the last thing they have on their to-do list is, yes, I did my to-do list. I'm sure nobody in this room does that. Wouldn't it be better for us to say to God, Lord, what is your to-do list for me today? And try to do those things. Pray with me.